Let me just tell you where we're going to end today, and then we're going to preach through the message, and then when I get back to um, what I'm about to say, hopefully it's going to land maybe with a little bit more punch, a little bit more power, maybe an insight that you never thought about before. Because in the end, I'm going to give the most boring, normal, ordinary pastor's application you've ever heard in your entire lives, and you've heard it a thousand times if you've been going to church for some time. I'm going to tell you at the end that you should wake up every day and say your prayers and read your Bible and renew your commitment to Jesus Christ and to surrender your life to him again. But again, maybe today, maybe through hearing God's word, that will land with a different kind of oomph, a kind of a power, kind of insight that maybe you haven't considered before. Let me get going there, uh, there with a question. Just answer this question for yourself. Don't answer it for your neighbor. Don't answer it for your spouse. Don't answer it for anybody else. Be very honest with yourself. Don't overthink it. Go with your gut response. Is the world good or bad? Is the world good or bad? Is the world maybe a safe place or an unsafe place? Think about how you answer that. Not just how you answer that maybe, but also how you live that. A researcher named Jer Clifton calls this a foundational belief. It's a belief that's going to set the foundation for many other beliefs, many other behaviors, many other attitudes and approaches to how we live our lives and how our lives intersect with the world and with other people. We're gonna set the foundation now with a word from God, of course. We're gonna set the foundation, our foundational belief now, no matter how you answer that question, let's set our foundational belief now on the word of God. We're going to turn to Philippians chapter four. We're gonna read verses four through nine. This is a favorite passage of mine. Hopefully you've, uh, these are gonna be very familiar words for you and hopefully uh, soon they'll maybe be memorized words of yours. Here's what Philippians 4 tells us. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Say it with me. Rejoice. I always love saying that word with the whole congregation in a tune and harmony together. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's worth saying again. <laughs> Rejoice. I love that. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I could preach the whole message on that, but I'm not going to. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to god i could preach the whole message on that but i'm not going to that's just a good truth to land on right there and the peace of god which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus finally brothers and sisters here's what we're going to land on today whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of our Lord. Amen, amen, amen. So Aaron Beck is another researcher. And Aaron Beck, years ago, was seeing patients and treating pa This is mental health awareness, so you're going to get some big... I've been having a lot of fun, because I took last Sunday off, by the way, and just been reading w way too much. So Aaron Beck, years ago, was working with patients, 
that had clinical depression and other emotional disorders. And in the course of his counseling, he'd just listen to patients. And so often he would, of course, hear patients say things like, ah, I'm worthless. Oh, I'm a failure. Oh, I'm a lousy parent. Oh, I have fallen short being a husband. I've fallen short being a wife. Oh, I'm a horrible employee. Nobody likes me. I have no friends. I'm an awful person. He just kept hearing over and over and over again these words of self-condemnation, self-loathing, really. And the approach to counseling and to care at that point was saying, well, these must be, of course, the symptoms of the problem of depression. But he just had this like light bulb moment, this profound thing that ended up in the course of time that you're going to hear about now, kind of changed everything. He just flipped the script. He said, wait a second. Maybe we're saying these things are the symptoms and the depression is the cause. Maybe these thoughts, these attitudes, these loops that we keep repeating in our mind, maybe this is the cause. And then the symptom becomes depression and anxiety and worry and fear. Make sense? Let's take, for example, then somebody uh, who, who, will, who will have this loop of talking about their worthlessness. They're not measuring up. They're not being good enough. And then they get this rather ambiguous email from their boss. Hey, just a reminder, the project is due this Friday. The boss, of course, means nothing but the best from that. Just a gentle reminder, a little nudge. We're under a deadline. Let's get this together. Do you need anything from me? But the person then inserts, oh, why did the boss send that to me? Oh, the boss doesn't think I'm going to get it done in time. Oh, I'm probably not going to get it done in time. I'm probably going to rush through this in the works. And, and again, you get, so he, caught, he noticed that people get caught in these self-loathing downward spirals of thought. So over the course of time, he developed what is now commonly called, and some of you would have heard this, cognitive behavioral therapy. He would just start catching people, stopping people, interrupting that cycle of thought. Whenever he'd be talking with a person, he, and they would just start that pattern of, oh, I'm awful, I'm worthless, I'm nothing, I'm miserable. He'd say, stop, 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 stop. Is that really what's true about you? And then he would walk them through. That's not really the truth of who you are. And he would interrupt those cycles, those cognitive thought patterns that would lead to then the behaviors of self-loathing and I'm not worthy, that would lead to those emotional cycles of, again, fear, anxiety, depression, and everything. Make sense? Great insight. It's profound. It's, it's actually touched thousands, maybe millions of lives now. Maybe some of you have actually been in some sessions and maybe they called it cognitive behavioral therapy. Maybe they didn't, but it's kind of the standard procedure now. Let's interrupt those cycles that lead to those often what are called emotional or mood disorders. Well, Here's, of course, what the pastor has to say about that. God got it first. God revealed these things first. Long before Aaron had this insight, the psalmist was telling us, for example, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Amen? For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What a way to start every day. Your compassions, your grace, your love, your mercies are new every morning. That's how we should start our day. Amen? Jesus, Jesus caught on to this cognitive behavioral therapy when he told us, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of, you, of its own. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm not going to get stuck in that pattern, that loop, that, th those thoughts that are going to drag me down. Two weeks ago, I preached on 1 Peter. Do you catch that one verse there right in the middle of what I preached on? 
1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, what did he say? With minds, with minds that are fully alert and sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Yes, yes, I'm going to take control of my thoughts. I'm gonna have a sober, clear-minded approach to myself and my life, and I'm going to intentionally put my hope on Jesus Christ. And one of my favorite verses, one of my life verses, you've heard me say this many times before, Romans 12, one and two, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing, say it with me if you know it, of your mind, the renewing of your mind, your thoughts. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you don't like the term cognitive behavioral therapy, then let's just call it Christian biblical truth. Amen, friends? All right, putting the cheesy, corny pastor spin on it. I, I am fully aware of how corny I am sometimes, but I do it sometimes so that it actually sticks. The Christian truth, the biblical truth, the truth that we build up our lives on tells us that we should not be stuck in these negative patterns of thought, but as all of these passages of scripture and so much more tell us, to fix our mind, to fix our thoughts. This is where we're gonna end again. I love that. Dwell on these things. That's how one translation puts that Philippians passage. Dwell, our dwelling, live. Let your thoughts live in these things that are true and noble and pure and admirable and right. So good, so good. Okay, so that's cognitive behavioral therapy. Well, this guy, Jared Clifton, who I started with, we're gonna swing back to him. He starts reading about another guy. You're gonna get a lot of information. This will all be online afterwards. Uh, Lee Ross, Lee Ross came up with what we now call the fundamental attribution error. Anybody ever hear that one? The fundamental attribution error. He was simply working on unpacking what is the core lens through which we so often view life. Now, some of you are already thinking about growing up in the 90s, early 2000s, and going through youth group, or going through a Sunday school class, and you went through all these Christian worldview classes, you should be thinking that. This is very much in line with what the church was very much focused on for a season, and in many ways still is, on saying, what is our Christian worldview? What is the lens through which we view all of life and, and, and God's world? And it's a very, can be a very helpful thing to sort of unpack, again, what is a Christian or biblical worldview. Well, this guy, Lee Ross, he starts studying this fundamental attribution error. Here's an example to make it hopefully make more sense. He wanted to take a group of people and to be able to have two different cohorts. And he asked them the question very bluntly, are you pro-Israeli or pro-Palestinian? Very important, relevant topic for the church and Christians today. And so people would self-describe, they'd self-affirm, I am pro-Israeli or I am pro-Palestinian. Self-described, self-labeled. This is the lens through which I see the world. And then he took both groups and he showed them the exact same, the exact same clip of newsreels. Made no changes to it for either group. Just took a group of newsreels. The newsreels, of course, are supposed to be unbiased, just presenting the facts. You can probably guess where this is going. Everybody 
who self-described as pro-Israeli, saw the news clips as anti-Israeli. Everybody who self-described as pro-Palestinian pro-Palestinian saw the exact same news clips as anti-Palestinian. They had a bias, they had a lens, they had a fundamental attribute through which they were seeing all of the world. He ended up calling it the hostile media bias, which I think we as Christians should ponder and think about because basically it says nobody trusts the media and everybody thinks the media is against them. Very interesting study. So he calls this again, the fundamental attribution area. When we are predisposed to see something through a particular lens, we will interpret everything through that lens. Okay, where does this lead us? So this guy, Jer Clifton, he reads all this stuff by Aaron Beck and about this cognitive behavioral therapy. He makes this great insight. Our thoughts actually impact very profoundly our mental health and our emotions. And then he takes all this research and this insight uh, by Lee Ross, and he says, boy, people just sort of have these lenses through which they see the whole world and everything gets shaded, everything gets colored by that lens. And he kind of like combines this research and he says, so what are the core fundamental lenses that maybe all people universally are seeing the world through? And he said, and of course they have to be different. There has, there has to be some differences. So he did this like two year process. Uh, they studied just, just thousands and thousands of people on like every inhabited continent, everything but Antarctica, nearly a hundred countries across uh, religious spectrums, across social spectrums, across uh, economic spectrums. And he found three, and now we're going back to right where we started, three foundational questions or beliefs that really end up setting the base, setting the floor for so much of life for so many people. Okay, are you still with me? Do I have your attention? This is gonna intersect with the Bible really quick. And I thought this was incredibly cool, which is why I'm telling you all this stuff this morning. So he found three sets of questions that kind of color everybody's experience and interpretation of the world. And the three questions are this. Do you see the world fundamentally as good or bad? Or another way you phrase that, safe or unsafe? The second was this, do you see the world as enticing or dull? I like the way he also phrased it, beautiful or boring? Is the world a beautiful place or a boring place? And the third one, is the world alive or is it mechanistic? So the fundamental questions are, is the world a good place or a bad? Is the world a beautiful place or a boring place? Is the world alive with possibility? Or is it a mechanism that you're just a cog in the machine and when you die or wear out, you'll just get replaced? Now we found all kinds of interesting interconnections from this. But one of the most interesting things he found is that first question, is the world good or bad, became kind of this trickle down belief. If you saw the world as a, and we're gonna start with a, and here's where we're gonna to start to impose Christian values on this. If you saw the world fundamentally as a bad place, you wanted to retreat from the world. And if you retreated from the world, you saw the world as a boring place. And if you saw the world as a boring place, you saw the world as a very mechanistic or dead place. But if you see the world as a, as a good place, if you see the world as a beautiful place, then you see the world as a place alive and with possibility. Okay, friends, we gotta get to God's word now. 
when God created the light and the darkness in the end of the first day, what did he say about his world? It's good. And then when he created the sky and the sea, he said that it was, oh, this is where, this is where you have to show me you're actually awake and you're gonna engage with the message. When God created the sea and the sky, he said it was, when God created the land and brought forth the vegetation, he said it was, whenever he put the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky, he said it was, when he put the birds in the air and the fish in the sea, he said it was, whenever he made men and women his own image, he said it was, yes, very, thank you, all right, yes, 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 the world is a good place. Now, I have to do a little bit of preaching explanation because I know already those of you who are locked into it, I'm gonna call it out. I'm gonna call it out. Those of you who are locked into the bad mindset, I know what you're thinking, oh, George, but there is, it is a fallen world. There is sin in the world. Bad things do happen in the world. Yes, yes. But does that change the fundamental goodness of God's creation? No, don't buy into that. No, God's creation was declared good and it remains good. And it is so good that God has been in the process of redemption to further the goodness, the greatness, the glory of the world he created and dwells in with us. Friends, yes, we need to build our lives on the fundamental goodness of God's creation. Is the world beautiful or boring? Amen, it is so, it, the, oh, I go to the mountaintops and God, you are there. I can go to the depths of the sea and God, you are there. Where can I go from your presence? The beauty, the glory, the wonder of your presence, God. I can't get away from it. The world is a beautiful, beautiful, engaging place. Oh my goodness, I, I, I'm gonna go on sabbatical again this summer. No, I, the church won't let me. I got to spend, I got to spend three months three months having a sabbatical. And I, I didn't expect this, I didn't expect this. I just know I love getting outside, I love hiking, I love biking, I love rock climbing. I just spent like three months outside. And, and as I reflected on last summer, my time, I just realized the awe, the wonder, the beauty of God's creation had just overwhelmed me. And I was just renewed, I was just refreshed. I was joking with some of the guys. I, I mean, before this, I was one of those guys where I was just like, you know, I'd just like bike by plants and trees and I'd hear birds and I'd be like, get out of the way bird, I'm riding my bike. Now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, what's that? Oh, what kind of bird is that? And I have these like apps on my phone now that I can like look at like plants and, and then like find out what the plant is. And I was like, oh my goodness, I've become one of those people. I'm like, what are, what's the name of that bird? What's that? I just became in awe of the beauty of God's creation. And it was restoring to my soul, friends. It was so good. God's creation is glorious. Friends, we know that God's creation is good. We know it's beautiful. Is God's creation alive or is it a mechanism? It's alive. It is alive. With the, we know that it is only the sustaining power of God that holds all of creation together. In fact, it was one of the key heirs, one of the heresies of, of, of more recent times when people said, oh, you know, maybe God just made the world like a clock, set it in motion and stepped out. Do we believe that? No. God has never stepped away from his creation, from his power and his presence alive and at work in creation. And that then opens up the possibility for something like our own mission statement, you know, connect with your calling. The world is alive with the possibility that you can connect with your calling to know and be known by God and to serve your role in God's creation 
if God has called you to be a spouse, if God has called you to be a parent, and we know God has called us to be a neighbor, God has called us to be at work in his creation, and oh, it is alive, it is alive with the possibilities of engaging with God and continuing his mission of sharing his grace and his love, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the wonder and the joy of knowing and being known by, oh, oh, friends. How many of us, how many of us as a parent, because this actually in the studies showed to be extremely common, how many of us as a parent are inadvertently or maybe overtly teaching our children that the world is a dangerous, unsafe place? When they did the research and they started to unpack, particularly in parenting, I found this very interesting. Many parents said it was actually a virtue to teach your kids Watch out, it's dangerous out there, be careful, don't trust anybody, watch your back, don't, you know, people thought, people thought that it was, they were actually doing their kids a favor by teaching them how bad, how evil, how wrong, how awful the world was. And you know what the implications were for children who grew up in that environment? Not really good. <laughs> I don't have time to unpack all of that. Now, does that negate what we say about make wise decisions? Make safe decisions, make good decisions. Of course not. We teach our children wisdom and safety and right choices, right and wrong. But friends, don't slide into that mentality. Don't slide into that mindset that can subvert God's glorious revelation to us to say from the foundation, teach our kids, oh kids, listen, God made this world. God loves this world. God is redeeming in this world. God has a plan for you in this world. Oh kids. I want to share with you the beauty of God's creation. Let's put down the phones and let's go for a walk. And let's listen to the birds sing. And let's look at the cactuses that are starting to blossom and bloom in the desert. Let's talk about how this world is alive with the possibility of God actually calling you, having a plan for you, having a purpose for you, having a place for you in the work that he wants to do. Oh, let's build that up in our kids. Let's build that up in all of our own lives. Amen, friends? Amen, friends. All right. Oh, there's so much more. There's so much more we could talk about. But that passage, that passage that we read this morning. So, so here's what I want to do. Now let's bring it all the way full, full circle here. So we have this fundamental attribution error, but let's embrace this fundamental attribution revelation. God's creation is good. God's creation is beautiful. God's creation is alive with possibility. And you as a part of God's creation, particularly you as God's image bearer, you are good and redeemed in Jesus Christ. You are a beautiful child of the Lord. You are alive because of him. We just sang it, I'm alive because he lives. Oh my goodness, we declare it. Let's start living it. So with that in place, also with the insight of building our lives on this Christian biblical truth, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, a corny thing I said, what is the truth that is being revealed to us? Well, that's the invitation of a beautiful passage like this. That's how amazing, like it just blows my mind how it's like, oh God got that. We're studying this now and we think we're all having these profound insights. It's like, it's been right there in my world, my word all this time. So what, 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 what is Philippians inviting us to do? Every day, every day wake up and say, whatever is true. So I encourage you, I implore you, Start your day with reflecting on the truth of God. What is it true about God? 
What is it true about God? God says, of course, yes, you were born in sin, but because of Jesus Christ, what we talked about two weeks ago, you are now a saint, a holy one, redeemed. You were once an orphan. Yes, that is true, but now you are a part of the family of God. Yes, you were once dead in your sins, but that was God's mercy to reveal that to you, and that was mercy that you are alive in Jesus Christ. You are not a stranger to God anymore. You are now a brother, a sister to Jesus Christ. You are now ambassador of the God. Oh, so remind yourselves, remind yourselves of these truths. Whatever is true, dwell, live, ground your thoughts in those things. Let me just run through the list. And then I'm, I am, I want, I mean, the, the real takeaway is again, you're gonna do this every day this next week and on through the rest of your life. Whatever is noble. Is it more noble to think good things about others or bad things about others? Think the noble thought about others. I get it, I get it. We've been hurt, we've been burned. There's a couple bad apples, but my goodness, my life is surrounded by people that over and over and over again proved to me how noble and good are the people of God. I mean, like Cheryl was saying, I mean, come and work at the church on a Saturday morning. And people do. People are good. People will surprise you with their love, with their kindness, with their generosity, with their goodness. People will surprise and delight you with being image bearers of Christ. Think the noble thoughts about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, you're gonna run into a couple hiccups along the way. Don't get jaded. Don't get burned. Don't let that direct the rest of your life. People are good. People are good. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure. Oh, there's a lot of impure things. We know that. A lot of preachers love to harp on that. There's a lot of lewd, impure, ungodly things. Whenever you just have that kind of alarm go off, that is not pure, godly. <laughs> Turn it off, walk away, shut it down, move away. Dwell in those things that are pure. Enough said on that. Whatever is lovely. Oh, my goodness. Just, just, just think about the lovely things of God. Again, go out into creation. Take a walk. Listen to the birds. Look at the flowers. Look at the lovely things of God's creation. And let that fill your heart and your mind and your thoughts. Whatever is admirable, whatever is admirable. You know, you've met people. You've met people. We've all met people. And you've just been like, I want to be more like that guy. I want to be more like that woman. There's something about them that I admire. Just lean into that. Lean into that person. Lean into those thoughts. Lean into that way of life. Everything that is admirable, just aim for it. Fix your thoughts on it. Whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, again, dwell on these things, live on these things. That's it. That's the invitation. How boring is that? The pastor actually wants you to wake up and say your prayers and read your Bible and affirm some things. But maybe now you have that insight to say what modern research, what modern mental health is wonderfully revealing and showing us has been here all along. To just fix our thoughts, to train ourselves to make these the lenses through which we see the world. It is good, it is beautiful, it is alive with possibility. I will fix my thoughts on these things that are true, that are noble, that are admirable, that are pure, that are lovely, that are excellent and praiseworthy. I will fix my thoughts on these things. And the implications, the implications 
are so profound. Let me um, wrap it up with this, and then we're going to take communion because here's another way to remind ourselves. So, Ben, maybe you should get up so that I, um, I, I, don't, I don't go too long, and we're going to go here into communion. I, I will post this again because I like to say once or twice a year an encouragement of, for a model that you can take this and modify and make it your own. But one of the things that I do, of course, is I wake up and I say the Lord's Prayer and I usually say it at least three times before it clicks. The first time it's like, yeah, I remember it. The second time I think about it. And the third time I'm just praying through the Lord's Prayer. I have um, a bunch of affirmations I say. Uh, things like Christ loves you. Christ died for you. Christ rose for you. Christ is coming again for you, George. Without you, Christ's body's broken. I do have a role, a place to play. Um, I affirm, you know, like I have all that I need to do all that God is calling me today. Like if God, like whatever God is calling me to do today, he's gonna provide for me to do it. So I'll, I'll post some of these things. I just affirm these things. I have some um, Bible verses that I'm always working on memorizing. Of course, after this week, I'm working on setting to memory what is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, seven things. I can remember seven things. I know every song to every rap song in the 90s. Certainly I can remember seven things. Like, you know, just, 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 just set these things to memory so that you can dwell and live in these things. But I'm going to end with this. I didn't grow up in a confessional church, which is fine. But then as I started to grow and mature and meet other Christians, I met all these reformed Christians and they pointed me to these catechisms, these uh, confessions of faith. And I just remember, I, I remember, like, like beautifully I remember, the day I actually read the first question and answer to the Westminster Catechism, question and answer number one. And probably because it's so simple yet so profound. It just said, what is the chief end or the chief purpose of humanity? And the answer, some of you know it, you can say it in your, in your heads if you, if you remember it, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And, and here's what I simply want to say, and, and this is definitely developmental, like when you're a kid, you think as a kid, when you're an adult, you should start thinking as an adult. Admittedly, up to that point, much of my life, much of my understanding of faith was basing my faith on what Christians aren't or what Christians are against. <laughs> we are against smoking, drinking, or chewing. We are, you know, we're against pornography. And at that time, we were against so much of pop culture in the world. We, it, was, it was very much a faith set against, right? Probably some of you grew up in that. Maybe some of us are still stuck in some of those mindsets and mentalities. But I knew I wanted my faith to be more, and I had never really considered glorifying God and enjoying him. Oh, you mean on the other side of kind of the warnings and the what not to do's are the invitations to what might be and what can be and what you will be in Christ. And that just kind of opened up the door of oh, a life that glorifies God and actually brings enjoyment. Where did that Philippians passage start? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice or to impose then the, the, that uh, catechism, enjoy the Lord always, I will say it again, enjoy, rejoice and enjoy. Enjoy what? Really? Are we called to enjoy? Absolutely. Because God is good. Say he's good. God is beautiful. Say he's beautiful. God is alive. Say he's alive. Dwell on these things. Live in these things.
things. Don't, oh, I can, oh, I, I just got to stop preaching. That one song we just sang, No Longer a Slave to Fear. Oh, how many brothers and sisters are just locked in fear right now? I, I, nine out of ten emails, nine out of ten posts, nine out of thing, ten things I see are fear-based living. Oh, I'm no, I am not going to be a slave to fear. I am not going to be a slave to fear, no. He is alive because he lives. I will face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone. Oh my goodness, these songs. Just let's let's just do the whole worship set again now with all this. No, I mean I know you got you got things to do. Um, okay, so here's what we're gonna do. It's the first Sunday of the month. We like to celebrate communion on the first Sunday of the month, and just what a way to remind ourselves again of the goodness of the beauty of how alive Jesus Christ is this world in our lives by coming to this table because we know that on the night that jesus christ would be betrayed after giving thanks to god he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he said to his disciples take and eat this is my body it's broken for you do this in remembrance of me and after supper he took the cup and lifting up he said this cup is now the new covenant which is sealed in my blood which is shed for you in the forgiveness of sins every time you drink of it do this in remembrance of me because we know that every time we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup we are proclaiming the death the burial and the resurrection of jesus christ until he comes again and friends he has promised to come again and more so he has promised to be with us by the power of his holy spirit until he comes again and this is one of the means by which we know he We are declaring the goodness of God. We're declaring the beauty of his plan for redemption. We are declaring that he is alive. We are alive in him, friends. Amen. Amen. Friends, here.